I have with me a, a guest who uh, she's kind of uh, we're kind of neighbors. Chief Kara Riley from the town of Aura Valley. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very grateful to be here. And certainly you're an icon in the law enforcement profession. So I'm very honored. Oh, thank you so much. We, Dave and I are so pleased to, to know you. And, uh, and I, wanna, I wanna talk about, because there's so many things that, that make you unique as a police chief. And, and, I, and that starts with your childhood. You had a pretty unique childhood. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, my father and, and mother were quite, quite adventurous and pioneers. And my father is a retired professor from the University of Arizona is, as I tease him, in the exciting field of environmental sciences. And we began our journey where I was six months old and we moved to a small island off of the um, Saudi Arabia coast called Abu Dhabi, which most people would know nowadays is very um, affluent and wealthy. Uh, but when I lived there, it was an island that had three mobile homes on it. Oil was not being produced yet. And my father believed that teaching people how to grow food with their natural resources would help with the issue of starvation that affects a great a majority of our world. And so we were there for three years. And after we left there, um, each day there was one ton of food being shipped out daily to the local people. Um, who were very poor. And that was done through the greenhousing system where he would irrigate the ocean water inland and take out the salt um, and then produce the food that way. And then from there, we moved to Taiwan and in a small community in Southern Taiwan called Shanhua, where we lived for six years and did very similar type of work there. There are eight vegetable centers in the world and one of them is in Taiwan. And so that was really a an interesting time and, and I remember that uh, living in Taiwan and then probably the most influential that I lastly lived with my parents was in Sudan Africa and so Sudan at the time had the largest farmland in the world and again he did the same thing of you know teaching local people how to grow food with their natural resources and we were there until I was 16 and then I came back to America um, then where I was introduced to the U.S. culture and, and started my law enforcement career from there. So when you first uh, got into police work, which was through corrections, and yeah. you took an oath of office, and every one of us takes that oath of office to support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of whatever state we're serving in and then whatever agency we're serving in. So when you took that first oath of office, and you've done it several more times, to the United States Constitution, I think you probably had a better sense than most of us when we were young about what that really meant, didn't you? I did, you know, especially in Sudan, it was under, um, we were raised under Islamic rules. And so the way that life is there in regards to the Islamic rules, which was we had to wear, you know, face coverings. My mother could not drive. We were, we only were allowed to eat publicly the leftover food, things like that, that I thought was everyday life and normal until we came to the U.S., and my mom would tell us, you know, when we were young, and it was three girls, I, I'm one of three girls, and then I have a younger brother. But um, part of it was, is, you know, really saying, you know, you know, the United States is very different, and you're going to have a lot of freedoms. And, you know, the culture is very unique. And so she would explain it to me until you come back to the US, 
and you really begin to live this life and realizing, oh, I can wear shorts and I'm allowed to play soccer now and I can drive and all these different things that came to this, this wealth of opportunity that we have in our country. And yes, it gives me such a much more respect for the constitution and the justice system and certainly for freedom and on how much we have here in the United States and how fortunate we are, uh, which led to me you know, being able to drive, which led to me getting a speeding ticket, which led to me to become a police officer. So that's how I was, it was that aha moment of being stopped by the Tucson Police Department and asking the questions of, and then I asked the, the last question, I asked the officer if women could be in law enforcement. Yeah. So you ended up uh, in corrections and then you went to uh, and the airport police department here in Tucson, and that's very unique policing. And you ended up there, I think in the nineties, right? What was that like? So I started my career, uh, like you said, in corrections, I worked with at the Pima County jail and really enjoyed that work a lot. Um, got to know, really hone in your skills with communications. And then I ended up going to be a police officer, as you said, at the airport police. And certainly it was an interesting uh, type of policing. It, I loved being an ambassador to people coming to our community and welcoming, welcoming them. But there was also this other side where there was a lot of narcotics interdiction that we did there, um, just a, a kind of a different time um, in, our, in our world at the moment. And so we were able to um, you know, do a lot of different things, but you were always in patrol but you did a lot of narcotics interdiction. So it was just very unique in that sense. Um, got to work with a lot of different agencies, not only locally, but really throughout the United States, where if you had a narcotics case and you ended up having to call ahead to let's say New York, you'd end up getting to know a police officer out of New York. And so it was just different, but a lot of it was um, basic community policing as well in reference to getting to know the, the airport community itself. And so that was uh, really a, fortunate time of my career. I really enjoyed my, my uh, career there. Uh, but the only thing that changed for me uh, was two things. 9-11 occurred, which changed policing in general at, at the airport. But then I became a mom. And when I became a mom, I, I couldn't do the shift work at the airport was at the time you rotated every month. And so I just couldn't keep up with being a good mom. I'm a firm believer. You get one, one chance at it and you, you want to do the best you can uh, raising your babies. And so that was when I decided to lateral to Oro Valley, which had six month rotations. So, See, and that's something that I don't think a lot of uh, people um, really think about that. In fact, I, I was on Fox and Friends this past Mother's Day talking uh -huh. about being a police mom, yeah. which is really different. And I mean, dads, you know, are in, obviously involved in their kids' lives and, and all of that. But there's something about being a police mom, isn't there, that does change you? It does. I mean, it brings up, you know, those points of, of you know, where you're trying to be a, a mom and you would drop your kids off at school and you're in uniform and people look at you like, oh, you're really a mom. You know, like I tell people, I go to the grocery store in uniform and sometimes I want to say, no, we eat as well. It's okay. You know, so I, I don't mind, you know, certainly this past year, my daughter graduated high school and during COVID, you know, her graduation was canceled and prom was canceled and all these things that happened. And we had some people in the community that wanted to have a cul-de-sac prom. And I had to come forward with a video saying, look, I get it. My baby's in the same position, but we can't have a, a cul-de-sac prom, please. 
um, because COVID was just starting out then. So it, it does, um, I, I always tell people being a mom is my greatest accomplishment in life. And um, I, I always say my greatest title is being Cece's mom. And so I'm very fortunate um, and uh, I, she's a lot taller and bigger than me, but I tell her I still can take her. So yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> our kids need to know that. <laughs> I agree with that. My kids have all told me, you know, yeah, we were kind of a little afraid of you. I'm like, good. Yeah. That's some good parenting, right? Good momming. So you moved to the town of Ora Valley, which is a beautiful community. We'll, we'll talk about that. And you got involved in a lot of uh, different things. What was your favorite assignment before you became chief? I have always been a diehard patrol girl. And um, I love the calls for service that you get to do because you get to engage with your community at all levels, sometimes during their best times and sometimes during their worst times. And I love the, the different calls for service that you have. I've spent of, of my career 18 years in patrol. And so I think it's the basic foundation of a police department and it's the heart of an agency. And really we're the first line of government that the community sees as well. And so I really do focus on patrol. Um, it's my favorite, uh, we're required per my direction. Our command staff works 10 hours of patrol a month. Um, I worked uh, late swings last Friday night. I do find that as I've aged, it's harder to see the computer at night. But um, certainly I do love working patrol. Um, they find it, the officers find it funny that I do traffic stops. Um, they'll usually be another one that's there with me right away because, you know, I think they're worried about what the chief might mess up. But um, I do encourage that, you know, remembering where you came from and uh, we have, it's important. So my favorite has always been patrol. Well, and, and how much, um, you know, here's the thing. There's a lot of um, larger urban areas that are talking about doing away with traffic stops. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, you just talked about that, that that's one of the things that you enjoy going on doing and, and most police officers do. Because when you're, when you're making a traffic stop, not only are you addressing whatever violation you might have there, but we, we use that as an investigative tool, don't we? Absolutely. And not only does it, it, it uh, both sides of it. So you do an investigative tool of it. But on the other hand, you know, 90% of the time, we're not writing a ticket. It's just, a, it, it's about education. Education leads to prevention. So we really do focus on that. But then again, for example, this morning, one, I gave a commendation this morning to one of my midnight officers for a wonderful traffic stop that he did that ended up being uh, a burglary suspect with a bunch of stuff in it that we were able to give back to the victims. And so it's those type of things that we really do focus on. But from my perspective, and certainly it's the message I give out to the officers, you know, we really educate our public on safety. We want them to be safe in reference to speeding or distracted driving and things like that. And so, yeah, that's where the traffic stops do help out quite a bit. So chief, uh, you be, you worked your way up in the agency and mm -hmm. you became chief of police in February of 2020. And then a few weeks later, the kind of the bottom fell out of the world. What was that like? So three weeks after I started the pandemic uh, began, that's when the lockdown occurred. And it certainly was um, a, a lot of work, a lot of hours, um, a lot of unknowns because the it was really an invisible threat as I describe it, you know, where we just didn't know. And really my focus the entire time was twofold. One, I needed to keep my police officers and the, and the line level staff here safe. 
And two, I needed to continue to, to serve this community at the expected level that they were used to. And so if I could answer those two questions at the end of the day, then I was satisfied that we were doing the right thing for the right reason. Um, but there was a lot of unknowns. We found a lot of areas that we needed to improve on, which we have. Um, certainly we were fortunate to have a lot of the supplies that other agencies did not because we were prepared ahead of time. Uh, but there was a lot more that went along with that. Um, afterwards, we also had um, a, a wildland fire that threatened our community um, in June, which was the Bighorn Fire. And then as you and I spoke prior to coming online, we had the May, uh, the unfortunate death of, of George Floyd. And so we had a lot of civil unrest, a lot of questions that occurred referenced the profession of law enforcement. And so part of what I focused on was telling our story better because as police officers, I don't think we've done a very good job as leaders in telling what great work the men and women of our profession do every day. And so that's really been a big focus of mine and continues to be even every day. And it will be until I leave this career. And that is so important is communicating with our public. And I know a lot of police agencies, a lot of police leaders, quite frankly, just sort of, um, you know, kind of hide in their office until they have, you know, absolutely all the facts or, or, or they just don't want to engage with the community. And you, I know you are out there, um, you know, in person, on social media, in the media, um, talking about what your people are doing and you're very, very open. How do you, how do you do that? And, and yet maintain, um, the decorum that you need to within uh, your own agency. I think part of it comes back to the fact that our community is very supportive of public safety. My town council is supportive. Our town management is supportive of us. So knowing that I have that support allows me that opportunity to tell our story and tell it every day. And so every single day, I could tell you a story about the great work that the men and women of this agency do. Um, and frankly, law enforcement does throughout this country. There isn't a time that um, there, there isn't a time that I can. And I'll give you an example. You know, I put together these videos during the pandemic because we were trying to message out safety messages to our police officers. And I ended up starting to do these monthly videos. And as I began to do that, I decided to do the police chief's shout out at the end. And now I'm finding that my entire video just is police chief shout out. So they just are remarkable. Um, they're honorable, compassionate men and women who want to serve this community. And so I'm very fortunate to be able to say that I'm, I'm honored, I'm humbled to be able to say that I'm their police chief. So it's really something where we need to just do a better job telling that. And so any opportunity I have, if, if they want to, if somebody wants to talk to me, I'm going to tell our story and I'm not going to um, back down from it because I, I am um, proud of being a police officer. I've worked 30 plus years to, to be a police officer. I've never disgraced the badge, I never will. And that's something that we need to be able to just say as, as leaders that we are proud of our profession. And, and those videos that you do are, are really are a model for what should be a component in every police department in this country. It should be a component of their community policing outreach because that's what we talk so much about community policing and and that's something we've been doing since the 70s in this profession mm -hmm. but we have to keep up with um the our you know youngest in our audience and yeah. also keep up with more modern times and and use of video and social media is just huge when we're talking about 
community policing. When you hear that phrase, community policing, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I like to tell people that community policing is no new concept. It is not a concept that has been, oh, in the 70s, 80s, or 90s. It kind of got rebranded over the years. But Sir Robert Peel, the founder of law enforcement, has the, the, the basic foundation of the people are the police and the police are the people. And if you look at that as your basic foundation, that's what community policing is. We get out there, we engage with our community. And I talk to our officers and I explain to them that it's an emotional bank account. You continue to feed it every day, every second of the day that you can. I am constantly thinking ahead of what's next, what's next, what's next. What are the latest and greatest that we can do for our community? Because what's going to happen, and it has even with my agencies, we make a mistake because we're never perfect. And then I can say to them, I'm sorry, we may have violated public trust or whatever the case may be. And then we were able to move together as a team because together we're better as one. And that's how we look at it from a community policing and community engagement perspective. And you're right, social media has changed that, that platform for us. And so that's really where I try to get ahead of it. And, and back in 2012, when I became the executive officer for Chief Danny Sharp, who was the long-term police chief here for 20 years and a fantastic model of community policing I was raised under, you know, he said, we need to engage our, our media better. And we need to really start to be our own journalist. And that's what we did. And so we just have to be able to tell our story through this philosophy and explain why we do things the way we are. And that seems to be working. Um, certainly we work hard at it every day here. Yeah, absolutely, and it, and it is working. When I'm out in the local community here, um, you know, you're who they're talking about and, and your agency, and because there is so much positive. And, and police work, police work has been so, politicized in the in the last year i mean probably like no other in the time that you and i have been involved in this mm -hmm. profession where do you see things heading because we have become so politicized and yet we are supposed to be an apolitical uh, mm -hmm. entity in our communities we're not supposed to care who you voted for we, we are out there to support and to protect everyone how do we deal with this politicization i think i think you your statement that being apolitical is really critical and we really do focus on that here we don't get involved in in that because my bosses are not just my seven council members and my town manager i have forty-five thousand bosses that's that's how i look at it and so to me that's my job is to serve them i'm at the will of them and what work i need to do for them and so we really do focus on whatever that is, whether I agree or disagree with their, their views on certain things. My job is to uphold the law, to be there and to really, I, I always tell my young officers, my entire job as a police officer is to be the voice of a victim. And, and if you look at it that way and you just stay your course, we're gonna be just fine. I tell people I'm proud to be a police officer and I'm not going to back down from that. And I, I, people say, well, why would anybody want to be a police officer in today's world? And I say, why not? Why wouldn't you want to be a police officer to be able to serve a, a community in the, in sometimes during their worst times, you know, my community was just scared during the wildland fire. We were all scared. And yet my police officers, I asked them time and time again, I want you to come in. We're in a pandemic. You're going to be exposed possibly to more 
you know, sicknesses. And I want you to now go evacuate people. And not one wavered, not one. And I'm having to look into these young men and women's eyes and say, I'm asking more of you. Every single day I ask more and more of these men and women and none of them wavered. And that's what public service is about. And that is such a great lesson for the young people out there um, you know, who might be watching this and think, okay, well, I think I might wanna be a police officer, mm-hmm. but it seems like things are so negative right now. What do you say to those young people who might think of this for a career? I think that for, for me, I would say that being the voice of a victim is the most rewarding uh, part of my job that I have had over the past 30 years. And again, I I would say, why not? Because it's all about service. It's about nobility, about honor. It's about being uh, camaraderie with your fellow law enforcement members. You know, there's been some horrific incidents that have occurred in our profession, yes, over this past several years. But that doesn't make all of the police officers that we work with and stand with daily that, that way. And they work so hard. And part of it is, is, you know, when I have a, you know, one of my LPOs doing a tire change on the side of the road is I have to tell that story. I have to tell you that it's not about, you know, using force or taking people to jail. A lot of it is about doing CPR on a one-year-old and saving their life or doing CPR on a a man who was 43 years old and and it's captured on ring and his little boy is watching it happen in front of us. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about service. And so I would say it's about serving. That's fantastic. Chief Kara Riley, thank you so much for being a leader in this profession, not just here in Southern Arizona, but an example for law enforcement leadership nationwide. I appreciate you spending time with us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. 1. Call 911 and give the officer's exact location. 2. Ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. 3. If the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.